Welcome, everyone. Today, we are with Andy Callaghan. Andy, how are you, my friend? How's everything going? Doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm good, man. First of all, thank you for joining my podcast. Andy, could you a little bit talk about your background and also your sales experience? Sure, sure. Yeah, no worries. So um, my background is for the past 10 years or so, I've been in uh, the tech space. But prior to that, I was in a completely different space. I um, I started my career as an SDR, having studied marketing, but I went into be a, a sales development rep because uh, the money was better uh, and I was right at a uni. And yeah, then I went into a, a number of different sales roles. I've, uh, I, I did account management then, but then when I was in uni as well, I also did a number of different direct selling roles and so on. So like I've, I'm like a marketer with a very like sales focus, right? So with a sales edge almost. Um, I decided then at one point about... 15 years ago to be like i just want to focus on marketing mainly because i wanted to earn less money <laughs> joke but uh i i so i decided to just focus on the marketing side of things and learned a lot about lead generation and this was during when i i started a company i think it's almost 15 years ago now and it was when marketing automation was in its infancy and uh i i started to learn the insides and outs of of marketo back in its early days so most people will know Marketo, it's direct competitor to HubSpot, bought by Oracle, I believe, or either Oracle or Adobe over the past year. So it's a, it's a big, big tool, right? Um, and I became, in a, at a global organization, I became the, the, the go-to person for Marketo, right? Just out of default. It was just because nobody else, one person was managing it, then that person left. And then it was like, okay, you've been sort of looking at this, Andy, so you now need to become the, the expert in it. Um, and that sort of got me interested in tech a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was already working very closely with sales orgs, doing things like I was doing general marketing. I was like running events, doing digital marketing, running Marketo, lead nurture. And we were selling massive multi-million dollar deals. It was in like private communications networks to like public security and, and like police forces and, and public transport organizations and so on. So like it was interesting, but a very slow moving industry, right? Um, so then I, um, I started working at a company. I, 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 I moved to the tech space. So that's when I made a move to the tech space. And it was to a company called Amarsis. And people might be familiar with Amarsis. They're a marketing automation platform, customer data platform for mainly for retailers. Mm -hmm. um, but when I first joined, they, had they, they were just about to receive their first round of external funding um and to go into the u.s market so we we then went into the u.s market there was lots of different changes we got mm -hmm. i think at that that first round of funding was about 60 million wow. and with 60 million you're able to make a lot of mistakes like amarsis was already quite big they'd already been around for almost 15 years or so by the time they got that funding they had been privately funded up until that point but they had, they were at probably around 50 million arr at that point so they weren't annual recurring revenues they weren't small but um and there was lots of different changes, lots of mistakes made that I learned from and so on. I, I quickly enough then started to move up through the ranks in the marketing team there and became the global head of demand generation and worked at that for a number of years, creating out a global team, like focusing purely on lead generation, demand generation, how to drum up more demand in that sort of space of upper to mid, uh, upper, upper to mid market um, enterprise size deals. So minimum sort of deal value of 100K annual recurring revenue per client, working with large clients. Like it was, we were really accelerating the growth of the organization, trying to get as many logos on as quick as possible, right? 
And um, I seen how to build a marketing team alongside the CMO there. And uh, I then took that knowledge and went to a direct competitor, which wasn't too great from a Mars's perspective. They weren't too happy with me, but I still have a very, very good relationship with the ex-CEO. It happens. It happens. Look, it's a small enough space and, you know, your knowledge transfers perfectly to one from one company to the next. Now I went to a much smaller organization. They were probably at around 4.5 million ARR when I joined. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, it was a company called Exponia. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You may or may not be aware of Exponia. They've just been acquired by Bloomreach. Mm -hmm. So a multi, multi hundred million ARR company, right? And uh, we grew, we quadrupled the revenue in the space of less than two years. Um, and it was very much focused lead gen, creating the brand, uh, creating an outbound machine, having uh, an SDR function, which is reporting in under marketing and getting that running very, very quickly, right? Mm-hmm. After a number of years there, I then moved to another company that you may be familiar with called uh, Lead Feeder. Lead Feeder is... Uh, yeah, I know. is a, I'm using Lead Feeder. Yeah, well, there you go. So I was a CMO at Lead Feeder for a couple of years as well. So I went from Exponia to Lead Feeder. Reason why I took that change to Lead Feeder was because I understood the B2B seller's mentality. Um, and I'd seen the product as something that I could really resonate with and something that my message could really resonate with. And we again, we managed to, to grow the company very rapidly in the space of under two years with uh, COVID and everything happening in the background. We doubled our ARR right like really brought budgets down and so on and we, we got it post like past that 10 million ARR mark and then um for me like during that time it was it was working with a very small team uh working with uh like trying to speed up the lead gen efforts as best we could we managed to grow the brand quite significantly through like if you look at any of the webinars and so on that we were doing back at lead feeder days we were working together with the likes of Aaron Ross and uh, Morgan Ingram and like sales influencers and so on. We, we were driving a lot of traffic via that. And then um, I decided at one point to said, look, I want a bit of a change. So I set up my own business. So I stepped away from being a full-time CMO um, or VP of marketing that I was back at Exponia times. And I, I decided to, uh, to go out and help a number of different companies with their marketing rather than just one. And uh, I set up andyculligan.com. I, wasn't the biggest fan of using my own name.com like but everybody was like you need to do it because you've got your own following people know who you are you need to do it so i i did that and uh, what i'm doing nowadays is a mix of helping all size of tech companies from from early stage startups all the way up to sort of around 20 million arr that's on my client list right now to to helping them grow their sales and marketing efforts so as I mentioned, like I have both sides of the coin, about the sales and marketing side, primarily marketing, but also having run SDR teams, having been an SDR myself as well. I have that background and I'm also working very, very closely with sales teams. So that's what I do right now is help companies grow their sales and marketing efforts. And that was a super long intro. So my apologies for that. Wow, man, that was the one of the longest intro part, but I'm glad that you are here with us. Now I want to go step by step. Andy, you said you start your career as a SDR. Let's imagine we are going back to these years. And could you a little bit talk about your ex- SDR experience? Because in my podcast, I always try to give some tips for my SDR audience. Sure. So, um, yeah, like it, it was a tough job. It's probably the toughest job that I've ever done. And I, I think uh, the SDR is like the um, most underappreciated role in an organization. 
uh, and arguably one of the most difficult. And again, arguably on top of that, one of the most important. So without uh, in depending on the size, of, depending on the size of business that you're looking to sell, right? Mm-hmm. Depending on your deal sizes and so on. If it's a super volume sale and you, you're, you're running some sort of product-led growth model whereby you don't need too much of a sales influence or sales touch, then the need for an SDR is not there. But if you get into sort of mid-market to enterprise sales, anything from deal sizes of 10K or $10,000 ARR or, or above, right? You're going to mm-hmm. need to have somebody in there to be able to bring people through mm-hmm. the process of why they should be buying from you. And typically the first person that a, that a prospect speaks with will be your SDR, right? So the SDR is the person that actually gives that initial impression towards what the brand is, what your importance is, how you can help solve a problem for that prospect and so on. So for me, when I was an SDR, like I, the most important thing was being comfortable with this, right? Comfortable picking up the phone and actually having a conversation with your prospect, right? Mm -hmm. Now, this is something that I'm seeing nowadays in that, a lot of SDRs are afraid of picking up the phone. Yeah, okay? Like you're not getting like cold calling is not something that's happening at all at the moment. Like I actively put out on LinkedIn that I am looking to be cold called. Feel free to pick up the phone and cold call me. And I'm still getting a hundred shitty emails, you know, that are not personalized that are just like, Hey Andy, here's my pitch. You know, it's there's not there's not enough thought put into it, not enough personalization, and not enough research gone in behind to actually deliver something on my desk that mm-hmm. is like that's worthy for me to actually give you the attention that you're looking for, right? Mm-hmm. Now, there's the one part about the channel to use, like the phone, but then like something that I learned was do your research, spend five minutes in understanding who the person is that you're looking to reach out to. Like if I just throw somebody into a sequence and they just get blasted with emails and the set you get the exact same email as I do, what's the relevance to me? Probably very little. You're really hoping and praying that the timing is perfect on those emails in that they're looking for an exact fit solution with what you have to offer based on the messaging in your email. And the chances of that are so low that it's like, it's not even worth discussing, right? So what you're trying to do is, and I say this to a lot of SDRs, is you're trying to get your little finger in the door. You're not trying to get your foot in the door. You're trying to get your little finger in the door. And to get your little finger in the door, you need to connect with the person that you're trying to prospect to on a human level. Mm-hmm. So they don't give a shit about your pitch typically early on. You need to go after them from a, probably from a, an ego perspective on their side. Hey, I've seen you write X, Y, Z. This was awesome. I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about that. Look at what they're writing on LinkedIn. Look if they're offering any taught leadership content themselves. Look at what's important to them, right? And then go in on that and say, hey, Andy, I seen that you appeared on this podcast. I really like message X, Y, Z, right? And that's how you start the conversation. I'll give you an example. I still do outreach. Like, I love it. I love doing outreach, right? I, I run a couple of podcasts and I run a couple of webinars series and so on. And there's, there's one webinar series that I'm running with a company called base who are one of my clients. And we, we focus on executive assistance. We have software for executive assistance. Okay. Mm-hmm. And for that particular web, for that particular company, we run a, a series called base live. And this is getting 
high powered executive assistants on to chat with me and we do a bit of a panel and we push that out to our audience and typically we've got one happening next week and we've got 1700 registrations for it 1700 registrations right That's and typically like it's it's somewhere between a thousand to two thousand to two and a half thousand we get for every single one of these that we run on a monthly basis okay now that puts us under pressure to get really good guests on right mm -hmm. so I wanted to get like the best DAs on the planet on. That's that, that's my that's my goal, right? And I'm gonna aim for that. What did I say? Aim aim for the moon or aim for the stars you reach the moon, right? Or or if it's the other way around. But you know what I mean. Yeah. So I I I I was doing some research and I said, okay, I want to I want to get somebody that's really well known in the EA space. One person was um, a lady called Anne Hyatt. Mm -hmm. Anne Hyatt is the ex EA to Jeff Bezos. And also the XEA to the to the CEO of Google, and the XEA to the to the ex uh, CEO of Yahoo. So she knows what she's talking about, right? Yeah, definitely. So <laughs> what did I do? I spent five minutes. I was like, I need to prospect her. I need to somehow get me relevant in front of her. So I spent five minutes understanding some of the things that she talks about, or doing a bit of research. So I looked up Anne Hyatt podcasts. Okay. Let's look at what podcast Anne Hyatt has been on. So I found a podcast with Anne Hyatt on it. I listened to five minutes of it. And I extracted one particular story that she told, which was pretty funny. She mentioned that when they started working on Amazon, they couldn't afford desks. So they took the doors off the hinges and used those as on top of like, I, I think on top of bricks as desks, right? Because Jeff Bezos couldn't afford to buy desks, okay? And so I said, okay, I, what I did was I, I, I prospected her on LinkedIn. I went and sent her an in-mail. But in that in-mail, I sent her a picture of my door here in my office and said, just been listening to you on podcast XYZ. I think I'm going to take this thing off the hinges and make a desk out of it. What do you think? And she wrote back with smiley face, smiley face, smiley face and said, now that I have you, I'm running this thing. Do you want to come on and we have a chat? And so on. We, we got talking. And she's been on two base lives since. Right. And that's not me direct selling, but that's trying to get somebody in that's able to provide value out to my audience. So it's a similar selling technique. And I didn't go in being like, okay, base live gets a hundred or gets 1,500 people on every month. Blah, 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 blah. I didn't spit out that pitch. I just connected with her on something that she had already spoken about somewhere else and made her laugh. And that's what started the conversation. And that's how I managed to build, build that relationship. That was a nice experience, man. That was a nice example, guys. Don't miss this opportunity. <laughs> there you go. Nice example, Andy. Uh, before that, I'm totally agree about ego issue because, you know, people like talking about themselves, their success stories, their performance. And guys, don't miss the example because Andy gave us a very good example about how you can build up relationship with your prospect because there are tons of SDRs out there. Even I'm taking messages on Saturdays, I always say the one thing, don't be as simple. Try to be creative, guys. Andy, now I want to ask one more question. You know, our job is so stressful. Do you have any routine? Do you have any daily routine? Helps you to manage your stress? Uh, yeah, so I, so I get up. So I, I get up somewhere between six and seven in the morning. I've got, I've got, a, I've got a kid at home as well, so I... I I try to help out as much as I can in the morning to get everything ready for kindergarten and everything. And I, I, I've, I've got a dog. So I, I bring the dog out for a walk. I walk for an hour every day. Then um, 
if I have a bit of time in the afternoon, well, when I start my day, I I map out my day. So I, I always have this in front of me. So pen and paper. And I'm I'm constantly like you see here, one ebook, two direct mailer, three G2 reports, four own event, five shop talk meetings, six ice. I've got like everything listed that I need to go through for the day. Like this day is a particularly busy one. You might see that, but yeah. I have everything listed down. And what I'm doing is I'm just ticking, ticking shit off as I go, right? And it gives me the feeling, oh, I'm making progress. I'm making progress. I'm making progress. I'm making progress. I'm, <clears throat> and I, um, I, I do that. And um, I try to block out time in my calendar so that I have a bit of time for me, right? And also time to, to get some work done as well, because otherwise I'll spend my entire day on calls like people just putting time into my calendar because everyone has a calendarly link for me and they just hammer my calendar, right? So it, I've had days where I've had six hours straight of just pure meetings. And by the, by the end of that six hours, I'm like dying to go to the toilet, first of all, because <laughs> you know? it's just like boom, 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 one after the next, you know? Um, but I, I, also, I also like to work out quite a bit. You know, I, um, I work out a minimum of like uh, three to four times a week. So, you know, just, just to, it's, it's not because of like trying to stay fit or whatever. It's more so just to stay sane. I do it for my own sanity. Right. Um, and it's just for me to completely zoom out and just that's, that's my time. And um, yeah, like other things, I don't, I don't like this. You need to get up at 4am and run a half marathon and, you know, lift meditation. <laughs> You know what? I just I I do what works for you. You know, like whatever you can relax with. Like life is stressful anyway. Like got I've it. got a young family and I've got a busy job. You just need to find a way just to have a bit of moment or a bit of time to yourself here or there. Like I don't like these people that the the three or the four a.m. club and like if I got up at four a.m. every day, I'd be wrecked by about four o'clock in the afternoon. You know, like that doesn't work for me. So. I like people will tell you you need to do xyz do whatever works do you know whatever keeps you sane and if that means going out and having a couple of beers at the weekend then go out and have a couple of beers at the weekend and uh one rule that i i try not to break sometimes i do break it is to not work the weekends so i i i don't work weekends i would rather work 20 hours in one day during the week than having to work at the weekend because uh that's that's not good and i also take all holidays that's about, like yeah, we're checking LinkedIn. LinkedIn at the weekend, maybe if somebody's pinging me, but I typically I typically don't post at the weekend, and people aren't that active during the weekend either. So LinkedIn isn't isn't work for me either, though. It it depends on what you what you think of work. You know, uh, it's like I I I don't I, I'm not on Slack and I'm not on email at the weekend. That's like that's a thing. And then holiday when I'm on holiday, I'm on holiday. That's that's it. Like I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I'm tuned out yeah i think those are great ways to reduce anxiety for me i like run every day when i wake up at seven i prefer to run until one hour but that's the way how i'm re reducing my anxiety and now i have one more question to you i know you are very good at outbound marketing and inbound marketing andy by the way are we running our time that's fine i have a bit more time it's all good okay okay man i will try to keep it short with two questions Okay, let's go. Yeah, that's a weird topic because some of the people said you have to wake up early to handle that stress. I don't know. For me, 
I like walking. When I wake up, I always take my puppy and walk with him 30 minutes. I think that's my motivation. And lots of people talk about inbound marketing versus outbound marketing. And you have a huge experience about that topic. What do you think about that? Because I also work with biggest startups and some of them prefer just outbound or inbound. What do you think? Usually both. Like you, 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 you can't just do inbound or outbound. I think you need to do a mix of both. And I think one fuels the other. So the inbound side of things is helping you create a brand and helping you provide value. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the on, on the outbound front, the outbound guys are able to take whatever marketing you're producing and push that in front of people in terms of content. So it's like one feed, one hand feeds the other. I wouldn't say that you need to that you need to focus on just one or the other. You should have some element of marketing, and any marketing is 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 trying to attract people. So that's inbound. Mm-hmm. But you can use whatever you're using in inbound and to create an outbound approach from a sales perspective, hand over content and be able to push that out into the world and use the sales team as a delivery engine for that content. Ah, then you are saying both of them could work in one company. That's good. Andy, first of all, thank you for your chat. That was a huge chat with you and I really enjoyed. If my audience want to reach out to you, which channel is best for you? LinkedIn. You can get me on LinkedIn, Andy Culligan, or you can get me on my website, andycolligan.com.